that while we may face great disappointments and things may not always go the way we want and life can leave a bitter taste in our mouth it doesn't have to leave a bitter root in our hearts thanks for tuning in to the putnam city baptist church podcast we hope this message encourages you wherever you might be if you'd like to learn more about pcbc visit us online at pcbc.tv now here's pastor bill well congratulations to the class of 2020 this is the day that we set aside to recognize those accomplishments and the class of 2020 while most of their graduation ceremonies have either been canceled or postponed we're still moving forward today. You got to see the highlight video of each of our seniors and our college graduates. Then 1105 outdoors at our lawn chair church, we'll be watching our seniors walk across and we'll recognize them in person. The class of 2020, a class like no other, living in a time like no other. So I wanted to bring a message today that kind of relates to their world that they're living in, the world we live in today, and give them a challenge as they take their next steps in their journey of faith. The class of 2020, most of that class was born in the year 2002. Most were born right after the tragedy of the Twin Towers on 9-11 in 2001. They started their journey in tough times, and now as they come to their graduation, we find another tough time in human history. And as we dig into all those things, we'll find the uniqueness of what God is doing. I'm looking forward to what God will do with this generation because they have been trained and they have been through many difficult days. Right after they were born in this world, 2002, President Bush would create the Department of Homeland Security because of the daily threat of terrorism. We had never seen it before. Just a little bit of historical context. This generation was born the year that was the very first season of American Idol. Kelly Clarkson would be the inaugural winner there. They were born when cell phones were around, but there were no cameras. It would be the end of 2002 when Sanyo would release the very first phone with the ability to take photos, which is appropriate for this generation, the generation known as the selfie generation. SpongeBob SquarePants was the most popular cartoon. A lot of different things, very unique to the class of 2020. But what isn't unique is what we all share a new decade that was launched in 2020. Uh, A lot of aspirations of what this would look like, this new decade that was being launched in a class of 2020. We also see a new day, a day of coronavirus. And as we look into the scriptures today, I want to make sure that we don't let the coronavirus be the defining moment of this year and for this class. We don't have to let our disappointments be the defining moments of our lives. And I think that's what we'll learn what we are learning and what we certainly will learn from Scripture today. Life, as this generation knows it, can be very disappointing. It's very disappointing not to be able to have your normal graduation ceremonies. There are a lot of things that have changed. To to be ripped out of the schools and not be able to say bye to teachers or friends uh, during spring break and now for this long extended period of time. But a great friend of mine, a great teacher, Walker Moore, has said and others have said before life's disappointments is actually God's divine appointments I really want us to look at that today and I want to bring that charge to not just the class of 2020 but all of us who are living in 2020 that while we may face great disappointments and things may not always go the way we want and life can leave a bitter taste in our mouth it doesn't have to leave a bitter root in our hearts 
I want to challenge the graduating class of 2020 to live life not in the lens of disappointment, but to look to see where God is at work, to see that God is working out a new thing, even during times of difficult things. That if we will allow him to be God, even when life is disappointing, we can experience some divine encounters and some glorious things. I'm going to give you three examples from Scripture today of people who went through very disappointing times. Their life, as you look into their story, we'll find time after time after time, life would let them down. Circumstances would be overwhelming and difficult and disappointing. And yet they would still experience supernatural things, special things, because they didn't let their disappointments dictate their future. First example that comes to mind for me is an Old Testament character by the name of Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. Joseph was uh, the one who would eventually become second command in all of Egypt. But before that glorious moment, there were times of great disappointments. Joseph grew up in a large family. He was the youngest of all the brothers. He was the baby of the family. He was uh, the spoiled one, if you will, and he was daddy's little favorite. By this time in life, uh, Joseph was being treated and coddled by his father, and all of his brothers became extremely jealous of Joseph. Joseph also had a dream. He received dreams from God, and God had showed him that all of his brothers would bow down to him at one point. It would prophesy of what would happen later in his life when he would be second command in Egypt, and they would come because of the drought in the land, needing rations. But the context wasn't there. His brothers couldn't understand it. When Joseph bragged that they would bow to him, they were furious. They plotted among each other how they might get rid of Joseph and get rid of this spoiled little brat. And it got so sick and it got so corrupt that they even planned to have him murdered. At the very last moment, he was protected from that. Uh, God stepped into their hard hearts and their plans changed, but it still got ugly and still got disappointing. They would sell him to slave traders who would take him then into a foreign land, ripped away from his father's love, ripped away from all that he knew, and now a slave in Egypt. Joseph experienced one disappointment after another. Matter of fact, he was the same age of many of our graduates when these disappointments, disappointments began to magnify. When life turned super sour and things seemed to go wrong, Day after day after day. Life's disappointments can either destroy us or they can be used in our lives to experience God in fresh ways, to experience those divine appointments. The beautiful thing about Joseph's story is he didn't cave under his disappointments. He didn't let those disappointing circumstances be the filter in which he looked through life. He really believed that God had a special plan and there was more to come. As he would now wake up in a foreign land, as he would now wake up no longer a free man, but now in bondage, he still kept serving God and loving God. He would eventually be placed in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a, was a special official in Pharaoh's government. It was a good assignment. And in this role, he was put in charge because he was such a great leader and had such a great heart that quickly Potiphar realized, this is the man I want in charge of all of my household. And so he delegated those responsibilities to this stranger named Joseph. As Joseph was leading his household affairs and taking care of all that was Potiphar's, 
Potiphar had a very loose wife, a wife that over time became attracted to Joseph. And we find in Scripture that she was constantly approaching him and constantly pressuring him to have a relationship outside of her marriage vows and with this young man. Genesis, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 39 and verse 10. And what we find in this moment, this time of testing, these daily battles, they would determine his future. These difficult circumstances. And, and the question would be, would Joseph just cave in? Would he do the expedient thing? Would he do the, the thing that would be best for his career and give in to Potiphar's wife so that she would be happy? Would he cave into his flesh and do possibly the wrong thing but what might feel in his mind to be the right thing, the best thing to do considering the circumstances. In Genesis 39, verse 10, it says that as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her lie. I think it's important to learn from Joseph's life that he didn't listen to his circumstances. He didn't listen to his flesh. He didn't listen to the lies that were coming at him. It says here, day after day after day. That context is just like yours and mine. It may not be another man's wife that's lying to us, but we know from Scripture that Satan is the father of all lies, that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, to lead us astray and to lead us out from under God's will into our own will. So don't listen to lies, and those lies come at us day after day after day. So how do we move through disappointing things and difficult times? Number one, don't listen to lies, but listen to God. Let God be the shepherd to your path each and every day. You see, daily the choices we make determine our destiny. Instead of doing what she wanted him to do, or even what he may have wanted to do in weaker moments, he does what God wants him to do. And I want you to see, back up one verse, look at context, look at what he declared before we see verse 10, you have verse 9, look at verse 9. He would declare to her, there's no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Right here we see, we see an insight into greatness. We see the compass that was guiding his life. It wasn't his flesh. It wasn't his career. It wasn't his desire to climb the ladder of success, but instead, his desire was to be great for God and to glorify God in all the earth. He understood that his choices either glorified God or distanced him from God. And he wasn't willing to take that step away from God's will. He wanted to honor God in all things. So he does the right thing. And even when he does the right thing, he experiences disappointing results. Now, I know that doesn't preach well, and I know you may not want to hear that, but that's true. That's true in all of life, and it was true in Joseph's life. As he does the right thing, he totally alienates Potiphar's wife, and she is furious with his rejection. So she plots against him. She lies. She continues to lie. She was a liar and followed the father of all lies, and so she spreads a lie to her husband that Joseph had tried to take advantage of her. Potiphar obviously has to believe his wife. He regretfully throws Joseph into prison. So here's a man who did the right thing. And you would think that if I do the right thing, 
I should be blessed and all will be, you will be blessed, but maybe not through the context of what we think blessing looks like. You see, blessing defined is anything that draws me closer to God. Oh, he's going to be blessed. He's just going to be blessed with disappointing circumstances. And I would say to the class of 2020, and I'd say to you and me, that we can be blessed even in these difficult circumstances in which we live. As long as we look to God, as long as we glorify him and all the earth, and we don't let life's disappointments destroy us. Instead, we look for God's divine appointments. For Joseph, his new appointment, his divine appointment was a prison cell. Nobody wants to sign up for that. And yet, if you go into it with that perspective that this is my new divine appointment, you can see God do better and more spectacular things than you could ever, ever dream of. While in jail, Joseph would come in contact with two officials from Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh, who was the king of all of Egypt, now two of his officials who were there with him, now become associated with the supernatural activity of God in Joseph's life. They have dreams in prison they couldn't interpret. And in those moments, Joseph correctly interprets their dreams. They're blown away that there's a man like Joseph. Joseph, in that moment, simply asks the cupbearer to remember him when he's released, to say a good word for him, to put in a good word, and that he could actually be an asset to Pharaoh's kingdom. And what do you think happens next? More disappointment. That official would be released, but he would forget about Joseph. Another two years he would spend in those disappointing circumstances. But it didn't change his heart. It didn't change his walk with God. He didn't get bitter. He just waited on God and accepted his circumstances. So two years later, no change. Social distance from all of the community Locked up unjustly. We'd go crazy after two months. We've proven that. He went two years in his social distancing, always trusting God and never, ever becoming bitter. As we take a look into his life story, we find that each and every step of the way, he continues to trust him. He continues to rely on God and trust God to deliver him in these moments. Have you ever been in a miserable time of life? Have you ever gone through some kind of disappointment that didn't make sense necessarily in its context? Have you allowed that to set up a root of bitterness in your heart? Or have you been able to maintain a Joseph perspective? That God who is sovereign over all things, he will work this together for good. I don't know how, I don't know what that means, but I will trust him even when I am disappointed. I love Joseph's testimony. It's inspiring to me, especially in these days. And from God's perspective, when we look at life through that lens, we can see where God is at work. He's going to see it. Two years later, he discovers what God's doing. Finally, Pharaoh has a dream that no one could interpret. And the cupbearer wakes up and says, you know what? I remember. I remember that guy I met in prison. He can help Pharaoh. And now the cell is opened up. Go to Genesis 41 and verse 14. Genesis chapter 41, verse 14. So Pharaoh calls for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. Notice where he was. He was in a dungeon. Nothing more disappointing. He wasn't in some minimum security kind of fluff play. He was in a dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. As I look in on this, again, we continue to see what made Joseph so special. A heart dedicated unto God, a heart focused on God. In this moment, it would have been very easy for Joseph to shine, for Joseph to put his best foot forward, for Joseph to convince Pharaoh he was something special and draw all attention to himself. But notice what he said in verse 16. Look at the last part. He said, understand this, Pharaoh, it's not of me. I have nothing to offer you, but I can bring you my God. And what a great testimony of how we live through disappointing times, that we radiate the glory of God, that our testimony would point people to God alive in us, but we would point them to God directly. He said, it's not of me, but God will give you your answer. And I would say that to you this morning as well. Maybe you're looking for answers. Maybe you're trying to make sense of the dungeon you feel like you're living in. God will give you that answer if you'll let him speak, if you'll listen for his voice, if you'll reject the lies, if you won't lean on your own understanding. God will speak truth in your life in these days. He wasn't bitter at God in these moments. Joseph continued to trust God. He continued to serve God. And he pointed others to God. And that's a great formula of success. Just trust God. Continue to serve God, no matter the circumstances. And in all things, point everyone to the God who lives in you. Would you be willing to make that kind of commitment? Would you be willing to have that same response in these days in which we live? Go down to Genesis 41, verse 38. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? Pharaoh was blown away. He'd never seen such humility and yet such confidence. He'd never seen somebody who'd been through such difficult times and yet was still radiating in his life. It impacted the heart of Pharaoh and all of Egypt. Can we find anyone like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. We look in now, and Joseph has gone from being second command over Potiphar's house, a good assignment, to now a glorious assignment. He's now second in command over an entire nation. What awesome responsibility. What awesome opportunity. And he would have never experienced it if he hadn't gone through disappointing times. If there had been no prison time, he would have never met the cupbearer. If he'd never met the cupbearer, the cupbearer never would have given his name to Pharaoh. So God does work all things together for our good, for those who are called according to his purpose and those who love him. Let's fast forward. As he's living out that dream, if you will, he is bringing prosperity in a time of drought. He is protecting an entire nation. And now his brothers come from afar. They come not knowing that their brother is still alive, having no clue that he's second in command. For all they know, he's probably died or is a slave somewhere in a distant country. They come to Egypt now for rations because of the drought. And they are brought before Joseph to beg 
for their sustenance. Just like the dream had said earlier, they would bow before their brother. That dream is now coming true. And what would Joseph do in that moment? As they appeared before him in need of help, he could have had them executed. He could have administered his own form of justice. He could have rubbed their faces in it, and he could have done all kinds of horrible things. And justifiably so, legally. But that's not how he lived. Look at Genesis 50. Go to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. He says that powerful declaration that protects us from bitterness in times of disappointment. He said, as for you, you meant evil against me. You, you did the most disappointing thing you could have ever done to me. You betrayed me, and you wanted to kill me, and you sold me. Your own brother, my own family betrayed me. But God meant it for good. What a great filter to have in life. Because life will be disappointing. People will betray you. Life will disappoint you. But when you understand, no matter what comes my way, it has to go through the filter of a holy God. And God will work it for good in order to bring about this present result and to preserve many people alive. Your life is to bring glory to God. But God also wants to use your life and other people's lives that they might find life in the God you know. I pray that Joseph would be a great example to us in these moments to live with a divine perspective, to do that in all of life, not just in the good times and not just when we aren't quarantined or sheltered at home and not just when life is all rosy, but even in times of disappointment. You see, life's disappointments really are God's divine appointments. Second example, I'll go quickly on this, is David. You know the story of David. David, a legend of all times, the giant killer David, the one who took down Goliath, the one who'd be God's choice to be king of his people. What a testimony. A man who was known as a man after God's own heart. Well, let's learn from David how we deal with disappointing times of life. Go to 1 Samuel this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 12. Let's just highlight some things and learn from David's example. While we see the great things that happen in Joseph's life, we forget that he went through a lot of disappointment. When we see the great testimony of David, I think we forget the disappointing times David went through. Matter of fact, before he would ever be king, he'd spend years, years in the wilderness, years waiting on God to allow him to take over the throne from Saul, not taking it into his own hands, not rushing in, but waiting. We find earlier than that, though, we find God crafting a giant killer. We find him as a little shepherd boy in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 12. It says this about David. David was the son of Ephrodite of Bethlehem and Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. Look at verse 14. David was the youngest of all the brothers. Here's another baby of the family. David, the runt of the litter, if you will, the very youngest. Now three of his oldest followed after King Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. The Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. This moment in history, the Philistines are waging war again against Israel. 
They've sent out their champion. Both sides are hiding in the hills. There's a huge valley between. Goliath, this giant of a man, a giant warrior, comes out and daily mocks the army of Israel and says, let's settle this battle today. You send forth your best warrior. We will fight one on one, and whoever wins, wins the war. All of Israel, including David's brothers, are hiding in fear up in the hills. No one would come forward. David, who was run a litter, the youngest brother of all of Joseph's children, is left at home tending the sheep, doing the chores that nobody else wanted to do. His brothers are warriors. They're at war. They're in battle. They're heroes in the land. And he wanted to be like his brothers and wanted to be where they were. Yet the beautiful thing about Joseph is he was faithful even to disappointing chores like tending sheep. He did it faithfully. He did it daily. He did it with excellence. And while he wanted to be somewhere else and he wanted to be where his brothers were in battle, he was social distanced with a bunch of sheep day after day after day. Go to verse 17. Jesse then calls for David, his son, and he says, Son, take now. Take these lunch, these rations. Take these to your brothers, this epith of roasted grain and these ten loaves. Run to their camp. Run to your brothers and take them lunch. I don't know about you, but I don't remember being real excited about serving my little brother when I was growing up. I don't remember wanting to do more chores like this. It was the last thing I probably would have wanted to do. What was David's response? Well, Let's take a look at this. Verse 20. Most of us would have said, why do I have to take them lunch? Why do I have to do this? Why am I always doing the grunt work? Why am I always doing the insignificant? Another disappointment. That's not how David looked at it. Look at it, verse 20. I've always loved this. I've got it marked up in my Bible. So David arose early in the morning. He left his flock with a keeper He took his supplies and he went as Jesse had commanded him, honoring his father in that moment. He came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. So look in on this. There's some powerful truths in verse 20. The first one I've already pointed to is that he arose early to be obedient to his father's wishes, to serve his brothers, to do what most wouldn't want to do for their siblings. He was diligent and he did it well. He was excited to honor his father. Maybe he wanted to get and see the battle. I get it. But most of us would have slept in. Most of us would have gotten to it sometime that week. He got up early because he wanted to be faithful. He wanted to honor his father. I've marked in my Bible as well, immediate obedience is total obedience. You see, delayed obedience is disobedience. It is a call in our lives when God speaks, and when we are to do what we are called to do, we do it immediately. We don't wait on it. We don't do it when it's convenient. We don't wait for the disappointing times to fade away and do it in rosy times. Immediate obedience is obedience. So David gets there. He rushes out, and as he arrives, he sees all of the army of Israel hiding in fear, including his brothers, and he's blown away. He can't believe their unbelief. And in this moment, he says in his heart, if no one else is going to step up, I will. It may be disappointing for you to see how certain people are responding in this time of virus, this time of pandemic. 
You may even be disappointed in yourself, but maybe today the Lord would speak to your heart and would call you out to step up and to step into life again, to do what maybe others aren't doing and simply be a testimony for God rather than walking in unbelief. He didn't just drop off his lunch, get it to his brothers, do what his dad asked, and go running back home where it was safe. No, he didn't, he didn't miss this new divine appointment. His disappointment of having to go serve his brothers led to this divine appointment, an encounter with a giant, and he would see God do something unexplainable and supernatural. Look at verse 37. As David gets involved, he trusted God like Joseph. He served God like Joseph. And he pointed others to God just like Joseph. Look at verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me today from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, David, go, and may the Lord be with you. Drop down to verse 41. David goes out to meet the giant. The Philistine came on and approached David. And we're about to see this clash of titans. The Philistine approached David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. It wasn't a mighty warrior from Israel. It was a little shepherd boy. The run of the litter. A little scrawny kid is standing in front of him with no armor, just standing there. It says that he looked at David and he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. Verse 43, the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, you come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beast of the field. This is trash talking 101. David, he doesn't just stand there. Look at verse 45. He brings some holy trash talk. Take a look at it. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But he said, I fight with more powerful weapons. I want you to learn something here from David. David, like Joseph, doesn't flex his muscles, doesn't say, man, I'm going to rip you to pieces today, and I'm going to do it for God. Now look at what he says. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. David didn't rely on his own strength, even though he had a slingshot. He wasn't trusting in those stones. He was trusting in God who created those stones and God who would deliver him that day. He knew that his only hope to have victory in life, even in disappointing times, was to come in the name of the Lord. He says, I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. Notice again what he said, my God. He had a walk with God. It wasn't just the God of the universe. He wasn't just crying out carelessly to gods like Goliath had. He had a personal relationship with a holy God. And he had seen God deliver him before with a lion, with a bear, and numerous times as he daily did disappointing things took care of stinky sheep. But it was in those disappointing times that God drew him, that God grew him, and that God worked in his life. He had great victories. It started with a lion, it went to bear, and now Goliath, a greater challenge, but a greater divine appointment. 
And he trusted God in those moments. He said, my God will give me victory. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that that's who your God is, the God of all victory? It doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter what giant is right in front of you. That same God who delivered you from a lion in the past, times where you faced a bear, and while this may be one of the most drastic and dramatic times of our living history, our God hadn't changed. He's still the God of victory. And that day, David accomplished what others said he couldn't do. That day, he accomplished things that others thought couldn't be done. And he didn't do it. He let God do it. And he would have never experienced that huge victory if he hadn't experienced small daily victories before that day, and if he hadn't been obedient to a disappointing request, take this lunch to your brothers. So what do we learn from David? We've learned lessons from Joseph. David teaches us to focus on the small things, to stay obedient and diligent and trusting God in those small things, whether they're disappointing or not. Don't just think about the Goliath moments. Don't just live for big things. Those big things will come when we take care of the small things. And when we live through disappointment, trusting God in all things, we always find great victory. David took care of his sheep well. He did it with excellence. He honored his father in all things. He arose early the next day to honor his father's wishes. He served his brothers. He did what others didn't want to do. And as a result, he got to do things nobody else got to do. Life's disappointments truly are God's divine appointments. I'll give you one last example, and I'll go quick. The last one from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had a major experience on the road to Damascus. His life would be radically transformed as God would call him into a personal relationship, transforming his life of dead religion into a life of purpose, to take the gospel to all the world and to the Gentiles. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As he experienced this divine appointment on the road to Damascus, you would think that as he surrendered to that divine appointment, life would be nothing but blessing. That now that he was in the center of God's will, all would go well. Most think that, that if we're right with God, follow God, and serve God, we won't have any disappointments. And we get disillusioned when those disappointing things come, and they will always come because we live in a disappointing earth disappointed by the condition of sin. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul's testimony says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I've lost my mind, as if I'm insane. I'm more so. For I am a servant of Christ in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. One particular time, most Bible scholars believe he literally had an out-of-body experience and God allowed him to return back to life, dead, stoned to that point, being stoned to a point of death, but God bringing him life again. I was beaten times without number. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, Dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. 
I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's also the daily pressure on me having concern for all the churches. You read that story and that testimony, and after he gets right with God, it seems like it's one disappointment after another. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. And yet Paul doesn't become bitter. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to go return back to my dead religion. He keeps serving God that much more passionately. How did he do that? Well, one, he realized that life's disappointments are God's divine appointments. And those divine appointments, as you go back and you look at these things, he would go to cities because he wanted to bring in the love of God and the gospel of God. As he would preach it, he would be thrown in prison for doing nothing wrong but loving them with the gospel. And as he would wake up in prison, most of us would be bitter. Most of us would be mad and angry at God and at our circumstances. Paul received it as his new appointment. Just like Joseph, he now had a new prison ministry. And he embraced that disappointment and he turned it around for the glory of God. Can we do that? Can we do that as well in our times of disappointment? Can we look through the lens that Paul looked through, that David looked through, that Joseph looked through? Or we will look through the natural lens of disappointment. In prison, he would experience great revivals. In prison, think about this. Most of the books that we have in the New Testament, the gospel that we hold in our hands was written during these disappointing times in Paul's life. When he was in prison, when he was in social distance from the body of Christ from his family, his friends, from his calling, or so most would say. You're supposed to be preaching to the Gentiles and you're locked up in prison? Think about this today. The Apostle Paul is still preaching from prison. He's still preaching to us through the holy word that was given to him while in his disappointing circumstances. He kept trusting God, he kept serving God, and he kept glorifying God, and he still preaches today. You don't have to turn there, and I won't put it up on the screen, but in Acts chapter 27, we find at the end of his life, he's going to Rome. It will be an appearance where he will appear before the court and before King Agrippa, and he will share the gospel. And before he gets there, he goes through some more disappointment right at the end of his life. When you would think God would give him a break, he gives him shipwrecks. If you go back and you read, and I would encourage you today, go back and read Acts 27. Read all the difficult things he goes through. He warns the crew that they shouldn't be sailing, that they're going to lose life and ship if they go, but they're stubborn and they don't listen to the man of God. They listen to the weatherman and they decide to go. They find themselves in a difficult storm. Life is about to be over. Matter of fact, at the end, it says that we had given all hope. We had given up all hope of being saved. All of our hope was gradually abandoned. What a difficult circumstance. What a disappointing moment. If they would have just listened to Paul, and you would think he would have said to them, you stubborn pagans, if you would have just listened to me, we wouldn't be in these circumstances. But that's not how Paul lived. Paul realized if this is disappointing, God must be up to something huge, something big. And so he trusted God in those moments. God gave him a vision and said, you will not perish, not one of you, if you'll just trust my voice. 
He declared that message. He continued to glorify God, and the sailors listened, and they were delivered. They would end up on the island of Malta, and as they would get there, they would be received by the natives of that island. God would give them glorious provision through the hospitality of these strangers. And that night, as they're celebrating around a campfire, victory, but more disappointment. Out of the fire comes this poisonous snake and it attaches to Paul and it leeches on him and all the natives know it is certain death disappointing you're Paul you're thinking God what do I have to do God can't you just ease up a little life is so disappointing Paul just walks by faith he just flings off the snake he moves on through the night and the people are blown away that this poison couldn't touch the man of God. And it opened up a divine appointment. And the legend was told throughout all of the villages and all the people came in and they started bringing their sick and he would lay hands on them and he would heal them in Jesus' name. And a great revival happened. And it would have never happened. Those people would have never been saved, never been healed if Paul had not gone through disappointing circumstances. Later, Paul would be able to write, and give us insights to living through times of disappointment. In the class of 2020, I share this challenge. To the parents and grandparents of the class of 2020, I share with you the secret of how Paul, David, and Joseph lived through their disappointments. Philippians chapter 4. We all know verse 13. I can do all things through Christ. Disappointing things. And glorious things. But if you back up, he gave testimony in context. He said, you know, I've, I've lived in times where I had everything I needed. I had plenty in my life. And I've also lived in times of famine. I've been in prison. I've been out of prison. He basically could share, I've been shipwrecked and I've been on a cruise. I've had good days. I've had bad days. But verse 11, I've learned a secret. What's the secret? The secret of contentment. He said, I learned the secret of contentment. To trust God like Joseph. That no matter what evil comes my way, no matter what people try to do to me, no matter how disappointing life gets, I know this. My God works all things together for my good. I can do all things through God because he will never disappoint me. And I will live my life trusting him, I will live my life serving him, and I will live my life glorifying him. Would that be your testimony today? I pray it will. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truths of your word. And God, I thank you that you are glorious even when life is dark. That God, when things are disappointing, you are still appointing. When life wants to rob us of your appointment, God, you are there to lead us, to protect us, and to glorify your name through us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone today who's viewing this message that has never experienced you, that God, like the road of, to Damascus for Saul, the Apostle Paul, they would have their Damascus moment, that you would speak to them, that you would transform them. And then, God, we would live in your purpose. 
God, that we would not allow life's disappointments to rob us of your divine appointments. And so, God, I pray for each and every worshiper today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them clearly, that you would speak to them like you did Joseph in prison, like you did Paul in his prison, like you did Paul throughout his entire ministry in prison as well, that you would speak to David like you did to David in the wilderness. God, that you would lead us by your voice as our shepherd. God, that we would trust you every step of the way and that we would experience your divine appointments. Lord, we love you and we praise you in these moments and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if the Lord has spoken to you and he has shown you something powerful, maybe a need to trust him as Savior or maybe a divine appointment, how God wants to use you in the days ahead, we want to hear from you. If you would email me at ministry, ministry at pcbc.tv, I'd love to hear your story today. I'd love to hear what God has spoken to you. And until then, know this, we'll be praying for you, and we'll be lifting you to the Lord until we meet again. God bless you, and be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.